There are uh, certain times in life where we invest in something uh, that we know it's for our future. Uh, this could be a 401k or some kind of retirement. Uh, this could be a, a car, right, that's better than a you know, 96 Jeep Cherokee with 250,000 miles. Now you make investments in life, not just for me, uh, but we do that, right? We do that for our, for our children, potentially. Uh, we do that for friends, family members. Um, and, and so today, not only do I wanna celebrate uh, those individuals who are, uh, who have uh, you know, been responsible for the space that we're in, but the looking at and the text that we're gonna be at in Hebrews chapter 11, of looking at people in the faith who have gone before us. And uh, so again, just again, just a little bit of history. Again, this is just fascinating to me. Uh, First Baptist Church of St. Paul was organized on December 29, 1849. So this is before Minnesota was even Minnesota. Okay, it was just the wilderness at that point. Uh, but 12 persons who had recently arrived at the Frontier Village, in the Upper Mississippi River. Does anyone know what that village was called? Pig's Eye. St. Paul would eventually change its name. Uh, but it was Pig's Eye, that wasn't Minnesota, so I don't know what it was, Pig's Eye. Uh, years old, uh, earlier, by, led by Harriet Bishop, Minnesota's first public school teacher. If you go outside, Norman Mears, uh, named after, well, the named after him, Mears Park, uh, that uh, he was a member here, and uh, he actually commissioned, there's some artwork on those, those big doors right there, out of copper, and it kind of shares the story. And, you, and Harriet Bishop, obviously, she was very influential, not just in the church, uh, she started the church, uh, but also just in the community. And uh, it's pretty cool. Yesterday, uh, Chaz and Amy uh, got married. Chaz and Amy Fenske, it was fun. Guess where it was? Harriet Bishop Island, right? Regional Park. And so there's this whole park dedicated to the woman who started this church. Not, not too many people know that, but it's very interesting to me. Uh, she invited the children who attended her first week of classes to return on Sunday, July 25th, 1847, for Sunday school. That was kind of the first service. Uh, the first church building was erected on the site of Mears Park. So they had a building, um, and uh, that one, they were in the process of building this one. I outgrew that one, but it burned down as they were building this one. So it was a good time, I guess. Uh, before the streets were graded, this was an elevated plot known as Baptist Hill, which sloped down to the river on the Jackson Street lower landing. This part of early St. Paul became known as Lower Town. Uh, this building was dedicated on May 31st, 1875, in the local newspaper, Pioneer Press. I didn't realize the Pioneer Press was that old. Uh, declared it the largest church building in St. Paul and the first and the finest building west of Chicago. The cost of this building was $94,000. That's it, $94,000, it's wild to me. And the organ was 10% of it. <laughs> that's, that's crazy to me. Uh, they had the steeple clock, the bell, all that. The total was $120,000. Uh, and again, so if you take $120,000 times 25, a lot, a lot of money that people invested in this building in space. Uh, the cross, the peak of the roof rose 85 feet, still does, it's still there, 85 feet. What's interesting is the ceiling in here is actually 10 feet lower than the roof. I've walked up there before. It's terrifying. Uh, but the, the steeple, though, used to tower 152 feet above the street. They've since uh, shrunk it down and made it lighter. If you look, you can see 
it, it didn't work out too well. That should be straight back there. So, uh, anyway, they did that back in the 50s or 60s. They renovated that and cut the steeple basically in half. 152 feet. I mean, that's massive. Anyways, I think it's really cool to think about 146 years ago that there were people in this building. No, it is. It was dedicated. There's nothing sacred necessarily about the building. There's nothing uh, godly about it. just a certain particular space. We could meet in our living room and have a church. Uh, we could meet outside and assemble at the church. The church is a body of people. It's not a building. And yet I'm thankful for the commitment of people 146 years ago who invested their time, their money, their resources uh, to be able to make this space that has been a staple in this community for uh, that long. So great people, uh, great people make huge sacrifices uh, to honor Christ so that we can see him more clearly and we get to see Jesus and that he is greater. And so uh, today's sermon is entitled, uh, Jesus is Greater Than You. Uh, this has kind of been a long time coming. I don't, I don't mean this as like, you are all terrible human beings. You're evil, wicked people. That might be true. But that's not the point of the sermon. What I mean is, on an individualistic bias, that this isn't just about you. There's more going on here than just you. There's a future. And there's people that we get to look to and, and say, hey, I want you to see a greater picture, which is Jesus. So we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 11, 1 through 40, if you're here for the first time or watching online. We're going to walk through this passage, and it's a longer chunk, uh, but we've been walking through Hebrews uh, slowly, and um, today probably should have been about 12 sermons, and I'm going to jam it into one. Uh, it's just kind of how this passage works. But where have we been? We've been looking at Jesus is greater, Jesus is greater than all the prophets and the angels and, and holy God and holy man. You can listen to all this online if you're interested in, in all these different ways that Jesus is greater, that he's better, he's more fulfilling, he's satisfying than anything that I can have. He's greater than rest because he is rest for my soul that I can work and I can labor and I can toil for my job or with my family, but I don't have to worry about my eternal destiny. He gives me that rest. Uh, he's greater than our insecurities and doubts. He's an anchor. He's greater than Melchizedek. That's one of my favorite characters in scripture. He's greater than the old covenant and his blood is sufficient to forgive us of our sins in ways that sacrifices could not do that with animal sacrifices. And so I wanna look at faith. I want to look at faith and ask the question, <laughs> what is faith? We, we, it's, it's one of those words that we use obviously all the time as, as Christians. Uh, even people that, are, that would not call themselves Christians know what the word faith is. They, it's, it's a very common word. But what do we mean? Usually it's just kind of this, yeah, you know, I've, I've got faith in this thing. Or uh, the age old thing is that when you sit down in a chair, right, you have faith that this chair is going to hold you up. Uh, when you get to be my size, you lose a little bit of that faith. I've never had a chair collapse on me fully, you know, like it, you hear it buckling and you're like, oop, you get time to get up. Uh, but I've never fallen flat on my, on my face, uh, which is good. But what is faith? And so if you just do a quick Google search, uh, look up Webster's Dictionary, here's the definition of faith when it comes uh, to uh, what culture says and what Webster says. And this is actually the second definition, but I think this is what people normally think of when they think of faith. It is a strong belief 
in God or in the doctrines of a religion based on spiritual apprehension rather than proof. That there's something that happens that we, we put our faith in this thing, so to speak. But what is this thing? Is there actually, so there's no proof. The famous, well-known atheist Richard Dawkins said this about faith. He said, faith is a great cop-out. The great excuse to evade the need to think and evaluate evidence. Faith is belief in spite of, even because of the lack of evidence. That's typically how our culture views faith. It's just this ambiguous thing. Like, oh, yeah, oh, you believe in God. Why? Well, I got faith. And we can't defend it. We can't talk about it. We can't reason with it. We can't evaluate it. Well, I would like to argue that that's not, that that's not what faith is. And then the first definition that Webster did is exactly this. Complete trust or confidence in someone or something. That, to me, when I use that word faith, that's my definition. It's not some spiritual, I'm just going to believe in this thing and I don't have any proof for it. It's just, it's just, uh, it's just something I believe in. No, I've got complete trust. I've got complete confidence in someone in God. Why? Because he's earned it. He's earned my trust. He's earned my, my confidence. Just like so many people who have gone before us, so many people for 146 years have gone in and out of these doors that they, they, they built this beautiful building. They gave money towards something. Why? Because I hope it's true. Or did they have complete confidence in something? Something greater than themselves. Because the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 11, starting to verse 1, says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. What does this mean? Faith is proof. Faith that I have in God is proof of his existence. Here's what I mean. Think of it as a receipt. Uh, recently, we purchased a bunk bed for our, our boys. They're going to maybe start sharing a room. We don't know how that's going to go. Uh, I'm sure that'll be a sermon illustration in a couple months, but uh, we're going to try to get them uh, in the same room and trying to sleep at the same time. I don't know how it's going to go, but we're going we're gonna to do that. So we bought this bunk bed off of Wayfair. If you're familiar with Wayfair, it's, it's definitely not Amazon, okay? Uh, it's, it's just not that great of a, of a website. Uh, things take a long time to get there. Well, this package, this bunk bed, was supposed to come in three giant boxes. And the day that it was delivered, I only got two boxes. I can't build a bunk bed without one-third of all the parts. And so it's sitting in the room. I'm, I want to build it. I want to get it put together. We've got these giant boxes sitting in our house. And we're just waiting. It took an extra week. But guess what? I had assurance. I had confidence. Now, what was my confidence? Was my confidence in Wayfair? No, it was in FedEx. I was in Deliver. Not necessarily. The proof, my confidence was that I got a receipt here. Wayfair. So if you don't deliver that third box, which I have proof, I have proof, I bought it, I paid for it, you didn't deliver on what you said you were going to do. And so if you don't deliver that third box, give me money. Right? That's my proof, that's my confidence that I have. The assurance of hope for the conviction of things not seen. So why is faith confidence? Why is faith proof? Here's why. 
God gives us that faith. Faith is a God-given thing. Well-known pastor, Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. This is an interesting verse because you have to do a little bit of English uh, parsing. parsing. What, what was it called when you did the line thing? I, I feel like I've done this before. Diagram. Thank you. Thank you. Us, us uh, older millennials, Gen Xers know what that is. Everybody else is like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know why we did it. It didn't make any sense to me, but we did it. But when you do a little bit of diagramming, you do a little parsing, let's follow the nouns and the pronouns here. What's the object? For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. What is the this referring to? The this is referring to faith. Faith is not of yourselves. Faith, it is a gift of God. It's my receipt. I have faith in God. That's my God. It's, it's my hope. Because I can't save myself by works. I can't do something. I can't earn it. I can't be a good person. I can't invest my life savings to a church to build a building and then therefore earn my salvation. I can't do anything. Or else I don't boast about it. Hey, look how good of a person I am. God loves me more than you. Nope, in, not true. It's not a scripture teaches at all. It's God-given. God gives us this faith. I love in Mark chapter 9, verse 24, there's a gentleman who, who is a child who is sick, dying, and then dies. And Jesus says, I've raised her from the dead. I don't even need to go to your place. She's healed. And the dad says this beautiful phrase, I believe Help my unbelief. And I just call that Tuesday, right? Just in life, just walking through something of like, I gotta do this, I gotta talk to this person. Jesus, I know you're good. Looking at this passage, Jesus, I know you're greater. You're so good, you're so great. Help me believe that. We have this proof, and so we get to look at the rest of this. These verses here. Now, faith is the assurance, confidence of things hoped for, the conviction, the confidence of things not seen. For by it, that is faith, the people of old receive their commendation. By faith, by confidence, understand that the universe was created by the word of God, grew up in breath, spoke it into existence, so that what is seen is not made out of the things that are visible. I can't science my way around the creation of the universe, but by faith, by confidence, by what God has revealed himself to be, if he said this is how he did it, then I can't faith confidence. So we have to ask ourselves the question, does God deserve our complete trust? Does he deserve it? Does he deserve our complete confidence? Well, we're gonna look at a large list of people who really thought so. So ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the hall of faith. faith, faith. Uh, this is a, always a phrase that's, it's a, Hebrews 11 has been kind of coined and labeled the hall of faith. And uh, Pastor Drew, Pastor Columbia Heights, he's a graphics guy, and so he put together all the individuals that are named in Hebrews 11, and somehow he put into a picture that actually flows. It actually looks like it was actually made to look, but it wasn't. 
So you've got all these people who are, this is why I said you could easily make this 12, you could go 40 weeks on this one chapter. You could look at every single individual and go back and look at their history and talk about who they are and why, what was their faith and what, what, what did they put their faith in. And I'm not going to do that, uh, obviously, it would take a long time. Uh, but what I want to do and what's, what's awesome that the author of Hebrews does is it's, they go in chronological order and they walk through a biblical theology. They just started at the beginning, creation by faith. And then they're going to walk through the major players all throughout scripture who believe in something greater than themselves that took immense, immense faith to be able to make decisions to move forward with their faith in Christ. That they believed in the promises of God. And God said, yes. That's what it's about. It's not about your actions necessarily. It's not about you being a good person. But do you believe in who I am, who I said I was going to be, and I said I was going to redeem you. I said I was going to send someone to save you. And you believed in that even though you couldn't see the Savior. So all I'm going to do is I'm going to read. This is a long passage. I might pause here and there to maybe just describe or explain something, but I just want you to listen. If you're new to the Bible, you're going to get a, you're going to get a, a crash course right here. Thanks, man. I'm not yelling loud enough for you. Uh, maybe my coat sitting or something. Sure. We'll see if that does any better. Oh. Maybe that. Maybe that'll help. That should help. Okay, sorry about that. Uh, all right, so I'm just going to read this passage. Again, this is Hebrews. We're going to look at now. I'm just going to read verses 4 through 38. So it's a long chunk. But these are a lot of individuals here that had confidence by faith, in confidence in who God said he was, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. He was killed by his brother. Henry, Jack, don't listen to that. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. Enoch was so faithful, loved God so much that God was like, yeah, man, I just need to get you up here. You're not even going to die. He's one of two people in scripture who didn't die, Enoch and Elijah. Elisha? Elisha, when I get to heaven, one of the questions I'm going to be is like, why did you name two prophets back to back with such similar names? So confusing. Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, without confidence, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him by faith, confidence in God, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteous, righteousness that comes by faith, confidence. 
By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. There's no scripture at this time. Nothing's written down. And this person, this name of Yahweh who had been handed down, who created the world, there was this great flood. And then, and then Abraham, hey, I want you to go out into the wilderness. I want you to go, I want you to leave everything. I want you to stop worshiping the moon. And I want you to go out here and I want you to follow me. He goes, okay. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, confidence in God, he went to live in a land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob. Heirs with him, the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundation, whose designer and builder is God. He never saw this. He never saw this space. He knew that God was going to provide this eventually. By faith, Sarah, Abraham's husband, herself, sorry, Abraham's wife, herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful, who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants. Abraham's 90, almost 100 years old when this happens. Were born descendants as many as the stars in the heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand on the seashore. These all died in faith not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. And if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And when he had received the promise, uh, was, uh, sorry, he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was even to raise him from the dead. And from which, figuratively speaking, to raise him, he did raise him from the dead. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph, uh, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus to the Israelites and gave them direction concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, talk about faith. Joseph was like, hey, I'm gonna make provision for the Israelites And I know, I have faith that you're going to go back to our homeland. You're going to go back to the promised land. So much so, you're going to take my bones. I'm going to be be buried. I'm going to be mummified as an Egyptian. But you're taking me. You're taking my bones back to this promised land. He was looking forward to the future. By faith, Moses, when he was born, uh, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw this child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. The king was, uh, Pharaoh was trying to kill all the children. By faith, Moses, when he was grown, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated for the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater than the wealth and treasures of Egypt. What's this about? He considered the reproach of Christ. Christ isn't even, he's 5,000 years away, 6,000 years away. What does this even mean? What do you mean the reproach of Christ? He knew that there was a Messiah. There was a promised one. And he said, I'm gonna do these things for my people, for my God, And I'm going to put my faith in the promises of God that there is going to be a redeemer. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, 
He kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. And by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. And by faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies of Israel. And what more shall we say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquering kingdoms and forced justice obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to fight, women received back to their dead by resurrection, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mockery and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in the deserts and mountains and in the dens and the caves of the earth. That is a big list of a lot of people who had faith, confidence, to the point, I think, especially looking at these last few verses of the suffering that they went through, because God promised something. And God, when he makes a promise, he came through to the point of death. And they had faith, they had confidence. It's not just some obscure thing. It's not just, yeah, yeah, I hope God's, hope he's real. So does God deserve our complete trust or confidence? The last couple of verses here of this passage simply say this, in all of these, though commended through their faith and their confidence in the promises of God, listen, did not receive what was promised. But we have live on this side of the cross since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. He gave us Jesus. Jesus is greater than just our individualistic mindset. greater. But Jesus is greater than even their confidence that they had in God to fulfill his promises because Jesus is the promise. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's a pretty popular verse uh, read at weddings and that kind of thing. I don't, think we, I don't think this was read yesterday. But it talks about this, that there are three gifts. There are three things that remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Why is it that love is the greatest? Why is love greater than faith and hope? Because someday I get to look Jesus in the face and I don't need to have hope or confidence. Do what he says he's going to do. It's going to be obvious. He's going to be standing right in front of me. I don't need to have any more hope. He's standing right in front of me. But love, love endures forever. I can have confidence because of who he is, what he's done, and what I've seen in my own life. I, I kind of teased this a little bit yesterday in my email, if you read it. Uh, but this is uh, Steve-O. He's not super, I mean, I don't know, maybe some of you have never heard of Steve-O. Uh, but there's a, there's a show called Hot Ones. 
And what this show is, is uh, this, this host, who I'm not going to lie, he's not the greatest host. He's kind of he's boring. He's kind of boring to me. I'm not going to lie. Uh, it was his idea. He does a lot of research. He's, he, he does a good job at his job. I just don't know if he should be the one conducting the interview. Just going to throw that out there. Anyways, no hate. I don't even know that guy's name. He'd do better than me. Maybe. Anyways, Steve-O, right? So what happens is they, they're eating chicken wings and they're progressively increasing the hotness, the heat, the Scoville units of, of their hot sauces. And if you, get, and if you read the, the title there, it says, Steve-O takes it too, too far while eating spicy, spicy wings. And if you know Steve-O, uh, I don't know him personally, but he's, he's pretty, pretty crazy. Uh, he uh, has his own brand of hot sauce. He ends the episode of just guzzling a bottle of hot sauce and then opening his eye and dumping hot sauce into his eye. Why? I don't know. And then the, then the, then this episode just ends. It just ends like that. Why would you do that? Why, Steve-O? Why would you do that? Because it's Steve-O. As crazy as Steve-O is, I, I, wanna, I, I have a quote from him from this interview. It's actually quite profound. So let me, let me read this. The host says this. What do you mean when you say, I'm just kidding. The host says this. What do you mean when you say you found religion through the video camera? Steve-O says this. Oh man, I, I think that as humans, without exception, we struggle with mortality. I even go so far to say that I think our human existence is just playing with us because we only have one instinct, which is to survive, and we only have one guarantee, which is we won't. It's probably the main reason why people have children, because they want part of them to live on and have a legacy. And other people turn to religion to say that even though you're going to die and even though you're, you're, you're going to go to heaven, everything's going to be great. He said, neither of those Two really worked for me, so I fall into the third category. I identify with those who leave stuff behind to be remembered by. I point to a caveman who draws stick figures on a wall in the cave, evidently because they knew those stick figures would outlive them. And this is how I found religion in a video, in a camera, because every video that I make, I knew it had the potential to entertain people to inspire people after I was physically gone, I felt very much that the video camera allowed me to defeat mortality. It allowed me to live forever. It is my heaven and now is my religion. I think <laughs> Steve-O identifies with a large portion of our population and a large portion of even us in this room, depending on the day. What is it that I'm living for? Do I live for my family, for my kids? Do I live because, man, someday I'll fly away, oh glory. Right now everything's gonna be happy and rainbows and sunshine and I don't have to go to hell and now I'll be just be happily ever after? Or do I live for something greater? Do I have faith like those who have gone before me and as just a little, little sneak peek into next week, the author of Hebrews says, therefore... Such a great cloud of witnesses. We're not alone in this. People have gone forth, invested for thousands of years, and had faith and confidence in God. One really cool thing is I was doing research about this church. The first black man joined the church in 1856. In 1864, the Civil War 
year later, Robert Hinkman arrived at a river from a riverboat. I don't know what the difference between a regular boat and a riverboat is, but by riverboat. They were part of First Baptist Church until Pilgrim Baptist Church was, was formed. A Chinese Bible class started in 1912. You have to think about the immense racism that would have been going on at this time, and the people of this church said yes because of Jesus. And even now, after we get dismissed, there are multiple ethnicities, uh, groups that are going to meet in this building, two of which, the Karin, the people from Myanmar, and the Burmese, have been at civil war for 60 years. Jesus is greater. He's greater. So in gospel application, it's simply that. Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than this church. Greater than our congregation. Jesus is greater than COVID-19. He was greater than the swine flu. He's greater than cancer. He's greater than protection. He's greater than our safety. Guarantees. Jesus is greater than our families. He's greater than our spouse. He's greater than our singleness. He's greater than our children. And Jesus is greater than our infertility. Jesus is greater than you. And we have thousands, if not millions, who have gone before us in God-given faith and confidence that God is who he said he was. And so we can, making decisions and making sacrifices in loving one another, setting other people's preference above our own, we can do that with confidence because Jesus is who he said he is. And so we can believe that and our prayer can help my unbelief. In just a moment, we're going to have communion, and as we do every week here. And communion is that time. It's that time to remember what it is that Jesus did. That over 2,000 years ago, and he said, it's no longer going to be the or a lamb or a bull. It's going to be mine. Before he was even crucified, he knew it was going to happen. Changed everything. All the had faith. And we now get to look back and remember what he did, that he died for my sins. And as the author of Hebrews says, we just have to have confidence that Jesus is who he said he was, that he died for my sins. We ask him to forgive us of our sins. He is faithful and just sins and cleanses from all unrighteousness. So we get an opportunity to partake of that. All I would ask is that you're a follower of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, we'd love to have you partake of these elements. If the bread that represents Christ's body that was broken for us, the juice that represents blood for us to cover our sins. able to grab one, feel free to grab one in the, uh, in the lobby. Uh, they're, they're individually wrapped back there, so feel free to grab one as we partake. And we get to remember, and we get to have confidence, we get to have faith in what it is that Christ did. Let me pray, and then uh, uh, Gary's gonna play two hymns, so feel free to take your time. Uh, and uh, pray, confess, whatever it is that you want to do, worship silently. You can sing out loud, whatever it is you want to do, and then I will come up and, and dismiss us when we're finished. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you again for just the opportunity to be here. I thank you for the saints who have gone before, not just in this building, but have gone forward for thousands of years that we get to look forward to because they had confidence, they had hope, in you, in your promises, that you were going to send a savior. And God, I thank you that we are on this side of the cross, that we get to look back and say, it's, it is finished. 
So God, I thank you for the confidence, the faith that we can have, not just some arbitrary thing. I hope so, but God, we can have confidence. God, we thank you for who you are. Pray that now that you would receive our worship through taking of these elements as a body, as a family of believers and followers of you as we lift up our voices. And we thank you for those who have gone before us and made sacrifices. And I pray that we would just continue that legacy to carry the baton, to hand off to the next generation, and even in this space. And it's a Christ's most glorious name that we pray. Amen.